Some people consider this the most significant Sunday of Advent because of joy. And the angels proclaimed their message of a coming Messiah. They said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be unto all people. Yet joy seems to be less and less of what our life is like in these postmodern times. It seems that we experience much at the hand of joy robbers. We get caught up in the, in the season and people have demands on each one of us and we make that huge mistake of watching the news and thinking that they have any understanding of what's going on around the world. And we lose our joy. We get our eyes away from it. And Paul, to the Christians in Philippi, was giving them guidance. Now, I want you to think about this. They were living in a very prosperous time and had so many benefits and gifts, yet they were frustrated with life. So Paul, who's sitting in a prison cell in Rome, watched over by several guards who would was soon preparing for death, is writing to them about how to experience joy. If we understand his predicament and his circumstance, he is obviously and understandably not in the best condition. Yet he is experiencing a joy that far surpasses theirs. Because Paul's uncertain future through human eyes was very certain through God's eyes. And he'd given up looking through his own eyes. Joy is not an emotion. It's a choice. It is an attitude towards life that focuses on the giver of life. Our attitude towards life is very important. We can trust God even in the hard times and the difficult times. Paul is warning us not to fall into the trap of assessing our situation by what our eyes can see alone. Our only conclusion will be anxiety, stress, and worry. But that's not what our life is about. Step back a little bit and look at your life. If, if you awaken today with more health and illness, you're more blessed than tens of thousands of people who will not survive this week. If you have never experienced the threat of battle or the isolation of imprisonment or the anguish of torture or the pangs of starvation, you're ahead of over 20 million people in the world today. If you attended this worship service this morning without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than almost 3 billion people in the world today, and many of them in China. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 78% of the world. If you can read and read God's Word, you are more blessed than over 2 billion people in the world today. What I want to say to you today is this. You have before you the fountain of youth. Now, I'm not talking about a way to stay your current age or to get younger. I'm talking about a youthful heart within that seeks joy as your direction, that, that anxiety, fears, and worry do not dominate your life. And I want to think about what Paul is saying to the Christians in Philippi and how we can be changed 
in this season of wonder and celebration so that our heart will match the songs we sing and the words that we say on the cards that we write to those that we love. First of all, are you afraid and anxious this time of year? The first thing we can do is to ask God to reveal the source of our fear and anxiety. Because remember, anxiety is just the absence of joy. That's all it is. We get distracted. and We want to entertain others. We want our family to have a great time. We want them to be blessed with gifts and all sorts of things. But the reality is... If we've been overcome with anxiety, we've lost joy, and we've lost our greatest way of sharing it, which is by teaching it by example. 1 John 4.18 says, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. God's love first and foremost, forgives us of our sins and sets us free to do so many things for Him. Through this process, it may reveal some hurt and pain that's happened in our past. We'll have to deal with that. And God may reveal that there's someone you need to go back and ask forgiveness from. But true forgiveness from Christ and from God has already been received. And because of that, you don't have to fear. Do you doubt God? This is an anxiety that many people struggle with. They'll trust God with the menial things of life, but when it becomes very serious, and they look ahead of them, they don't see the future looking so bright, and there's a doubt hanging out there somewhere, they begin to wonder who they can trust. But the reality is God is the only one we can truly trust. Jesus is the only person that went into the grave. He faced death, he defeated it, and he came back. And because of that... We don't have to doubt. We have the benefit of His wisdom, that He knows what is best. We have the benefit of His love and His goodness, that He cares for us and He wants what is best for us. And in His sovereignty, He is able to do what will change our lives for the best. Not not what we want, but what He desires for us. And that's what changes us. Supposing you find that you have that health concern, And the specialists that you're seeing and the doctors who are running the test really don't know what's ahead. They say maybe it's cancer, maybe it's not. We don't know what's going on. Who can you truly trust with your life? Your Savior. He is the only one that you can rely on. And in times of darkness and frustration when things in your life are going one direction and it's horrible and there's nothing you can do about it there's only one thing you really truly can do and that is trust God when I pastored in North Georgia some years ago I had a church member there who grew up in my church and and did great things in his life and he'd come back to the community after that his name was Douglas Ivester he was chairman and CEO of the Coca-Cola Corporation for two and a half long years He presided over some of the greatest scandals in the history of Coca-Cola. When we all found out that New Coke was no Coke, it was miserable. The scandal when they found out that Coke did change back in the 70s. 
You remember the day you tasted Coke and it just didn't taste right? Well, about 1972, they quit using cane sugar and started using corn syrup. We all knew it. It tasted different. There's a reason we go to March Mart today and buy Mexican Cokes because they have cane sugar in them, and it reminds us of our childhood. They denied that, and finally, during his administration, because he was a Christian, he admitted it. And then thirdly, they had to admit something that they hadn't for a long time. 1925, the recipe for Coca-Cola was lost. Did you know it? They talked about how, what a secret it was, but in, in 1925, Asa Candler, who had invented Coca-Cola really with uh, John Pemberton, a friend of his in the, in the drugstore, they had it written down. And they needed to buy sugar from a broker in New York, and they had no collateral, and they gave him the recipe in an envelope, and it was lost. Think about that. They had the recipe broken down in the company, but as far as the original recipe, it was lost, and they had to admit that. And I remember Doug Ivester telling me at dinner one night, he said, you know, I look back at my brief tenure at Coca-Cola, and it was the most nerve-wracking time of my life. I felt like my life was going to end. My name that nobody knew became a household word for scorn and inability to function correctly. But his aunt looked up at me where we were eating at her table, and she said, but, but my, my Douglas is a Christian, and he knew that God was in control, and he didn't let discouragement take him over. She said he resigned when he realized that he could not do anything good for the company anymore. But then several years later, they began to realize that he had laid the foundations for the company to survive that he had developed some, some very crucial corporations that were nonprofit that helped people around the world, and suddenly Coca-Cola became a franchise not only that provided a drink that people enjoyed, but also was a drink that helped change people's life. And Doug Ivester survived that, and he got beyond it. My buddy Robert Massey would say, oh, if you worked for Pepsi, you wouldn't have all those problems, right? But as a Christian, what he learned as a child changed his life. And he told me that he said, true joy has nothing to do with the circumstances around you. It has to do with the God within you. And I've always been thankful for that. And understood that the reality is we're all going to go through hard times. Don't ever pray and say, God, keep me away from sadness and difficulty because I'll tell you right now, he's not going to do that. Because it's through those sad times and those difficult times that God develops within you the potential to do great things. Galatians 1.10 says, I am now trying to win the approval of men or of God. Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And Paul, speaking to the Christians there in a very pagan area in Galatia, was telling them, don't live for people. Live for God. But lastly, give your anxiety to God. Don't let it overcome you. Realize that through prayer you can lay it at his feet. And, and this season can be a season of wonder again for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
There are a lot of great things happening in the world that will make the, uh, the stage of the media over the, last, over the next seven days. But none of them are as important as you are. Because Jesus died for you. And he loves you. And when all these significant news items come about and then drift away and are forgotten, you will still be there. And God will love you. As he told the Christians there in Philippi, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And that's the only way that we truly can survive. For some years, I served on the board of the Atlanta Humane Society, and I enjoyed going to different activities, the fundraisers and the times that we would match. We call, call it Parents with Pets. And I can remember one pet in particular that had been severely abused, a wonderful hunting dog that was beautiful until you put that animal near people. And he was terrified. He couldn't control himself. He'd just go to pieces. And we found a person who was sensitive to that animal. And it was amazing the difference that it made. The owner learned something very important early on. He said, when I was watching ball games and I was getting frustrated, he said, i.e., my team wasn't winning, I could not get vocal. Because he would that dog would take that personally and would get very upset and would think all the anger was coming at him. Sometimes we're like that dog. Even though God has given us a wonderful life and, and many blessings in life, we tend to act like that dog. We're afraid. And our past experiences and our false understanding of who God is overcomes us. And we go right back to that point of fear. Don't let that happen in your life. Understand there's victory over the past, even in the present, that will change you in the future. That's what Jesus died for. You know, I, I always thought it was amazing that, that it all began with wood. Do you realize that? There was a tree called the tree of the knowledge of uh, good and evil in the garden. And that's where it started. That's where we began sinning. There was a wood in the manger that Jesus lay in. And he started his life and he worked as, of all things, a carpenter working with wood. And then he died. Not, not from a hangman's noose or being stoned, but on a Roman cross made of wood. Yet we walk about us and we see so many things that are made out of wood. So many trees and we, this built, beautiful building with all its wonderful wood in here. And maybe God is trying to remind us of what he's done for us and why we should have joy. So when you go home and you look at that, well, I don't know, mine, mine's synthetic tree, but if you have a real wood tree, look at that and remember what Jesus did for you the joy that he gave you and the freedom that he's offering you over the problems of life. Give him those problems. Give them to him. And he will give you such remarkable joy that you'll be changed forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you bless us with all spiritual blessings from above. And we have no reason for discouragement. For our hope is in heaven. And because of that, we trust you, Lord, 
May we be people even now that hold on to that and trust that. And Father, as we are gathered together here worshiping you on this, the third Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of joy, may we understand the power and the perception of all that you've done for us. And may we let others know of the hope that is within our heart. God, let us be a changed people. And let us allow you to change us. And Father, if there are those here this morning that are, that are struggling with a decision to make, because every day we decide, because you gave us the ability to choose, every day we decide if we're going to serve you or not. I thank you for that, Lord. But Lord, let us make the right decision. There are those here today that have decisions to make, some that have not accepted you as their Savior and Lord. And they need to do that today. And others who need to come, they need to come and be obedient after they've accepted you as their Savior. And join the church and be baptized. The first steps that authenticate our change is obedience. And Lord, help us to be obedient in every way. And if there's one that needs to come and join this church, Lord, speak to them even this morning. Father, bless us in this Advent season. And let us change others as you have changed us. And may your joy go with us as we leave this place. For it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.